I'm not a fan of it with the glasses. Uh, no, that's there's, a lot, there's, a, there's a big fogging problem yeah, that I'm a, not yeah. too fond of. But other than that, yeah, it's pretty dope. Yeah, like I haven't had, I didn't have a cold. I, mean, I, I feel like Scorpion either. from Mortal Kombat every time. <laughs> right. <I said> that. <laughs> Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 303 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I barely have a neck. I'm Sam and I'm the artiste. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is March 19th, 2021. Dunk on everyone. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be swears in this show. So if you're not a fan of those, then you, know, you can just go away. I will start the swear train by saying, fuck daylight savings. How yeah, just just hope, you, hope you're quick to shut off your radio because yeah. we're getting into it. Uh, this is just our annual reminder that why? Yep. Why, why is this a thing? Well, unfortunately, it's a twice annual reminder. That, yeah. You know. Well, I, I feel like, yeah, it's, it always sucks in both directions. But this is the worst one. Yep. This one is worse for many reasons. I'm pretty sure we talked to, or, you know, we have to, we have to talk. We can't not talk about it because people die. People literally you know, die. This, this, this kills people. You know, we this, talked is about- a, this is the one year anniversary of when we left the office also because of COVID, which means that also daylight savings time must have been basically at that same time, which then made me wonder how many daylight savings time driver lives has COVID saved? Whoa! Yeah. It's now two. It's now twice that COVID's yeah, been there. That's a really good question. How many lives in general has COVID saved actually yeah. because of the lack of because driving vehicles. is one of the most dangerous things that people do? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, yeah, I think yeah. its net effect has definitely been negative. Oh, absolutely. But it yes. has definitely it has definitely changed some things. Yeah, uh, and sort of shuffled the deaths people. around. You Just know? shuffled them, shuffled yeah, them around. Made a lot more, but then kind of put them in some different places. Uh, and I do want to talk more about COVID, but first I want to also thank our uh, our supporters. We got some new donors today. Ooh. We got a message from uh, Mitrone who said, I happened to listen to your 300th episode a week late on my 40th birthday, marking another milestone of my life wow. with extra awesomeness. The big Love the podcast. Thanks a bunch for uh, the many hours of wisdom and fun sharing over the years. Here's a humble contribution to keep the mics juicy. I am delighted that we were part of your 40th birthday experience. Yes. Especially during Uh, the pandemic, you know. uh, We also got a note from Mike Stubna who says, Bros, big congrats on 300. For years, you have been one of the few podcasts that I'm always excited to listen to each week. Best of luck on Crashlands 2 and beyond. Uh, so thank you very much uh, for the for the donations. We appreciate it a lot. And if, if anybody else would like to support the podcast, you could do so over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Now you can drop a little note for us, and uh, we'll read it. We'll read it on the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about this uh, this pandemic because there's a vaccine. There's lots of vaccines. There is not enough, but, but but also All right, a lot. there's a lot of types of vaccines, but there's not a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They uh, might, being, there might be enough, but it's hard to get them to everybody. You know, well, it's, it's hard, hard to get hard them to everybody. It needs to be, but we've made it hard because, you know, that's just, how we, that's just how we do things. That's how we do it things. makes more money this way. Now, uh, I did have this, uh, this sort of hilarious combo of situations go down where one week I applied for life insurance because, you know, I'm getting old. A 31-year-old man, got to make sure that my babies are taken care of once I'm gone. Uh, 
not I don't have you, any babies. You, but... you mean us, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean I have a step and my wife and my dog. So mm-hmm. uh make sure everybody who I care about is taken care of. So uh started looking at that and then they were like, Oh, sorry, bub, you know, we know we told you it'd be five years before you get life insurance, but ooh, yeah, it turns out the kind of cancer you had, we're actually gonna wait till ten years. Okay. And they I was really, like, they really moved the goalpost on that one. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, mm, yeah, you're too healthy for life insurance. And then same week, you know, go to the, the COVID navigator, which is Missouri's uh, system for applying for the stuff. And I'm reading through the prompts for answering all your questions. Right. And the first one, the wording of the, of the first one is something along the lines of like, are you, or ha- yeah, have you been diagnosed with cancer? And I'm like, well, I have in the past. I have been, yes. But is this like, what's the, <laughs> you know, what's the recency of this? I'm not sure what you guys mean. Is this like, there's no time gate on it? Is this sort of now? And so I opted to, to at first I said, I said, well, no, I don't currently have cancer, which is why I thought the question was asking. So I felt like I was in this really dumb bureaucratic limbo where they're like, well, you're too healthy to get life insurance. Well, they're not too healthy. They're claiming that you're too unhealthy. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're, yeah you're, you're too, too unhealthy. Too yeah. They're too like, you're like, you could fall over at any second. Mm-hmm. You know? So you can't. Yeah, too much of a risk to get life insurance. You just, you know, it's the cancer's still there. And then on the other side with Missouri, they're like, mm, yeah, I don't know. The cancer's not really there enough for us to give you a vaccine. So, <laughs> yep. uh, and after a while, I was like, what the fuck is And then uh, my wife is Do I have cancer? Do I not have cancer? Come on, make up your yeah, mind, government. Bureaucracy. Everyone's just picking and choosing what they get to make sure I don't get what I need, you know? <laughs> so my wife is Well, remember, attention. Sam, it makes more money this way. Yep. Yeah. I'm sure it freaking does. <laughs> for, for everyone, except for you. Uh, so, yes, yeah. yeah, so my wife, thankfully, was paying attention to all of the updates and stuff. Uh, for COVID in Missouri and, and they had put out some explicit language in the American Cancer Society did as well, where they're like, if you're a cancer survivor, you're in this, basically the end of this first phase. Well, so I mean, that, for you in particular, because you literally had your blood changed into somebody else's blood. And yes, blood is the whole thing system. that, you know, defends you against diseases. So uh, it, it seems like anybody who has had a bone marrow transplant for any reason, although, you know, blood cancers are the main one. Um, ought to have been in the the early part of that queue, you know. Yeah, but yeah. So I finally went and basically we actually went and got it, and it was weird because we had initially been looking at like places that were three or four hours out because the St. Louis area doesn't have enough for St. Louis people, but but the entire rest of the state has so much extra because no one's getting it. So you could drive basically two hours outside of the city and go get it. But that was like no ah. one's getting it. Meaning in in the uh, in the more the more rural areas of Missouri, there's a big. Uh, anti-vaccine presence. And so the vaccines are being distributed there and people are not claiming them. Yes. They're just, they're just sitting there Yep, at, at Walmarts and pharmacies and wherever. And uh, people just won't show up and get it. Yep. So, so people, people from St. Louis are driving three hours across the state <laughs> to go to random small towns and, you and get twice, their vaccine. <laughs> right. Cause of the vaccine. So, uh, so yeah, I was lucky, crazy. To, was lucky enough to get it on, uh, uh, this past Monday. Uh, it was comically easy. Just walked in there. They were like, hey, you said you had this medical allergy to a drug. What drug was it? And I was like, uh, I think it was vancomycin, a chemotherapy drug. And the guy was like, oh, yeah, never mind. You're fine. Yeah, that's <laughs> not in here. That's not in this. So we're good. Uh, yeah. And I, we actually, both of us didn't have any, like, no reaction, hardly had, just had arm pain, you know, a little bit. Just like a flu shot sort of thing. Like a flu shot. Yeah, that's what I've heard. So well, get yeah, it if you can. In related uh, news, uh, they just said yesterday that. The governor of, of Missouri 
who was an ass, so I'm not going to give him any credit for anything. But he, uh, <laughs> he, he said that they'll be opening up all the way into phase three, which is the final phase, meaning you know the the younger, healthier people, which we uh, fall into, um, on April nine. So mm-hmm. apparently, that means they're optimistic about having enough doses coming in to support that influx. So. We'll Maybe they're just pulling them true. back from the rural areas where no one's. Well, they didn't say that they were doing that too. Actually, as they were, <laughs> yeah, they were. They were looking at the the rate at which people were taking it, and because the, they originally just put it out by population density, and that was it. And now they are taking rate of yes. of Usage. adoption into account, and, and now re reorienting. So yeah, because it was uh, something like like sixty percent of the of the vaccines that were being sent out to the rural areas were just not being claimed, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe just maybe just send half as many over there, so you'd still have a surplus mm-hmm. available for those who want it. Uh, and I'd give, I'd go give it to me. Give the remainder to me. Yeah. I, <laughs> send it to the me. Wild, it is actually an important thing. Is, is anybody who can get the vaccine? You absolutely like once you know once your time is is aligned and all that stuff. Like you absolutely need to do it because the adoption rate uh, for this one is so low because of the combo of the old school anti vaxxers who just you know have their own reasons for being maniacs, being maniacs about vaccines. Uh, and then the new strain of the ones who, uh, political anti-vaxxers, political anti-vaxxers who've decided uh, that, that science is, is also politics. Yeah. And but especially it's, when it's, it's better to, to die than to admit COVID. that you might've been wrong about something. Yeah. Uh, or that, or that getting a vaccine is a sign of weakness and you're not enough of a man or whatever. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so there's I now. Think, there's, I think the bi- the biggest sign of strength is admitting that you need help. I think it's yeah, being on know. a ventilator, being intubated until you die away from. That's the ones. biggest. It's the biggest sign of strength. Not breathe on your own, uh, mm-hmm. but because of these now we have these two strains <laughs> of anti-vaxxers. Um, then the it looks like the likely adoption rate for the vaccine is not going to get us to herd immunity, which is. We need like 85% or something, right? It's like 90%. It's it's really high, actually. So it it was never like super likely anyway, but we're going to be really far from it, it looks like. Uh, And so the the idea of herd immunity is that enough people have enough immunity because vaccines don't make you immune, right? That's not a thing that happens. What a vaccine does is trains your immune system by exposing you to something so that when it sees it in the future, it can act more quickly and more aggressively. That's the point, right? So So you still might get like you might get a flu shot and you still might get the flu. Yeah. But it's That's going it. to be worse – or sorry, it's going, it's going to be less bad than it would have been had you not. And it might be so less bad that you don't even, even notice. So, you, so as in like you, the, if you get a flu shot, the flu virus will get into your body still. Yeah, it doesn't stop that's that how, from happening. That's how viruses work. They get in. But it's about the symptoms and it's yeah. about your, your body's ability to kill the virus and neutralize right. it after it's It'll, it'll let you do it faster before the virus yeah. is spread as much, which means the virus will have done less damage before you get rid of it. So, that's the so as, in like, as in like we could, all have, we could all get our COVID vaccine and that doesn't mean that COVID is gone necessarily. Yeah. It's, it just it's hurts still, us less. It's just not doing – it's this, not a problem anymore. Right. You know? But this has yeah. a few consequences, right? So – Depending on the overall efficacy and as in like how much of your symptoms go away, that determines how, uh, how easily you can be infected and how easily mm-hmm. you can infect other people, right? Um, and every vaccine's efficacy is already different. So like – so some vaccines only work you know, really well for 80 percent of people, whatever. They still for basically everybody um, 
help things out and make, make your symptoms less bad. Right. So even people are like, Oh, I still got the flu anyway, after I've gotten the vaccine or whatever. It's like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not, that, it's not preventing that. It's making it. That so does happen. Uh, but but the point is, that doesn't, that doesn't mean, and I, and I have heard the people saying like, I got a flu shot once 23 years ago and then I got the flu anyway. And I've never had the flu shot since. And it's like, that's, that's yeah, that's not that's how it works. the dumbest, dumbest thing. Well, but the thing is, it's not dumb because the way that the way that because nobody is ex- taught how this stuff works, right? Because they're they are taught to believe that a vaccine makes you immune to a disease. That's mm-hmm. not how it works. It, it actually is you, very common sense. It's well, it's about you know probabilities, I mean? right? So it's like saying I got in a car once and I crashed, and I I'm literally never going to drive again because you know I could I could get into a crash, right? It's like prob you know probability wise, it's not going to be perfect every time. Right. Yeah, but the it's world not even, is messy. But it's even it's the thing is, it's like it's actually simpler and 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 better than that because it's not just random. It's that it does make your symptoms less bad, basically right. guaranteed. The problem is you can't do an A/B test and be like, "Oh, I'm glad I did that because I can tell it was better than it would have been otherwise." Right. Right. But it just sucks. It just sucks. Still stuff. got the flu or whatever. Yeah. So, so it's easy to discount because the only symptoms you know are the ones you experience. They can still be pretty bad. But the point of this is that if if there are still a lot of people who are not have no reduced uh, ability to to get and redistribute the disease, then it basically still moves around just as much as it was. So then those people who can't get vaccinated or who just don't have good efficacy from the vaccine, because it, you can still, with the vaccine, with any disease in principle, uh, just because of how your body ends up reacting and all that kind of stuff, you could still end up in a position where your symptoms are bad enough that it's a big problem, right? So... The so more even if, that's even possible, if you've even if you've gotten the, the symptoms mitigated by having the vaccine, exactly, still could, still could be too much. Right. So the idea of herd immunity is that there are so many people who are so efficaciously protected that the disease basically can't spread very far because it's at least it's like getting weakened as it moves, you know, from one person to the next. So like it just it can't get anywhere because it's being blocked at every at every attempt, right? And there's, right. If there's most a threshold of it, you have to get to. So like if most of it gets killed when it comes into your body, and also you aren't hacking and wheezing and spraying mucus all over everybody around you, then you're also yeah. not spreading it as well. Right. And so it just kind of fizzles so out. So if you don't have herd immunity, it just keeps on going. So now, which is a long way to say that even when you get the vaccine and you've waited your full like m- fucking month, right? Because it's back if you're getting the two doser, does one, mm-hmm. two weeks, does two, two weeks. Uh, at that point, the state you're in is the one wherein if you get COVID, there's a like whatever it is, 80% chance from like that, that it's you'll like have no or very low symptoms, mm-hmm. but you still got COVID, right? That still mm-hmm. happened. And you, you can, can still, still give it to it. somebody else. Other people can give it to you and you could be in that 10% where you still have some some problems, right? Because – and if there's herd immunity, you just get to stop worrying about all that stuff so much, right? So – Right. Because it's it's harder for you to spread it and if you do spread it, it's to someone who's also vaccinated and yeah. they're going to have lower symptoms and they're not going to spread it as easily either. Right. So as, yeah, among or, a fully yeah. vaccinated group, you have herd immunity. That's how that works, right? Uh, so if you know everybody around you is vaccinated, you get to be, sort of behave in that way where it's like, oh yeah, I think they're probably – not too big of a deal. I'm not too worried, right? Um, but yeah, but the, the, the thing that I'm, that I'm already seeing is as people get their vaccines, they're like, fuck yeah, and they just like start going out and doing stuff, you know? It's like, no, you're still probably infecting people. You still are at risk of yourself getting infected. There's the whole thing. So you got to – you're trying to – you still need to worry about the social bubbles. You still got to wear masks. You still got to do all this stuff. Yeah, until yeah. vaccination rates are higher, uh, yeah. 
to the to the point to the point where it's not a concern anymore. Then still be safe. Yeah, wear, yeah, wear your mask. Your I gotta say though, I, I actually love the masks concept, just in general. Mm-hmm. It's For, I'm not a fan of it with the glasses. Uh, no, that's there's a, problem, a lot. There's, yeah. a, there's a big fogging problem yeah, that I'm not yeah. too fond of. Yeah, so having uh, had LASIK, that I don't have to worry about as much. Uh, but, but other than that, yeah, it's pretty dope. Yeah, like I haven't had. I didn't have a cold. I, mean, I, I feel like Scorpion either. from Mortal Kombat. Every time <laughs> <Right. I'm laughs> well, it's it's less than that, but it is like 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 people didn't get the cold this year. Yeah, this like flu season all. too was they like didn't nothing. get the flu this year, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Of course, yeah. Still, people did obviously, right? But but like the the rates were so low compared to prior years. Yeah, I guess uh, when we're not all just coughing on each other all day, it's, uh, it's just, yeah. just a lot harder to spread most diseases yeah. that are airborne. So that's kind of a nice nice plus. Um, so, anyways, yeah. If roundabout way of saying, you know, if you if you haven't gotten signed up, do go get your vaccine, get it as soon as possible. Once it's your turn, do it. Which is coming uh, soon for everybody, hopefully. This is a game development podcast, but we do have a a PhD biologist on staff, which is Adam, mm-hmm. and he's he knows the thing about this, so, or at least I used to, because it's been seven years since I studied biology on purpose. Yeah. And as far as we've been able to tell, the human body is largely the same as it was seven years ago. Yep. And we know just as little about it now as we From an evolutionary it. perspective, and, and the rules still apply, probably. Uh, so, my, my own human body has deteriorated rapidly in the past seven years, so there is— So you better get that vaccine. There is that. You know. Uh, all right. So uh, let's talk about Crash Lights 2. So it's been an interesting week for Crash Lights 2. Um, we have gotten the new, uh, the new environment— Art in there. We've got like cool sunlight dappling. We've got new new tile sets. Um, we've updated. We have like our own little editor that we that we've been working on, which was inspired by Levelhead. Because as we were making Levelhead, it was so easy to test out new stuff in Levelhead because like any scenario you wanted to investigate, you could just like make it happen. So great for debugging. Great for developing new uh, new enemies, new scenario, like new items, whatever it was. So we do, we do have that in Crashlands 2 as well as, as a developer tool. Um, so this week we spent a lot of time beefing up the visuals of the environments and adding a bunch of tools to the editor to make it easier to build like really good-looking uh, scenes and, and landscapes. And, and as, as the outsider, because I'm always the outsider in all of this for the game dev part, I will say everything looks so fucking dope. Like it is so – Seth was showing it's, off the editor, which he has all these like cool – like paintbrushes that do randomized patterns and stuff so that you don't have to try to like handcraft it. So it's, it's like, it's that combo of handcrafted and procedural that makes it so that a single person can make an enormous amount of content. That's yeah. You can just kind of like, like grab a paintbrush and just kind of like slap it across the, the yeah, screen and you make cool. like a cool looking little Island with like little dithering on the edges and like resources are popping up on the Island, you know? Um, so it's, it's starting to come together, but what's kind of, what I want to talk about is this kind of interesting flip that we've that we've been doing with Crashlands Two, and it feels wrong. Like, like <laughs> at my gut level, it feels wrong because I'm so not used to it. But I also know that it's really good. And the flip that we've done is in the past with games like Levelhead, even original Crashlands, uh, you know, Flop Rocket, Tile Flight, whatever. All of our games, all of our jam games, everything are. Design philosophy was this idea of like mechanics, 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 build the game systems, build the mechanics, 
and just keep adding more and more mechanics and systems. And uh, when it came to the art side of things, Sam had kind of a similar uh, style, which was basically just like content, content, content. Like yeah, make a thing, just, put it in. Make a thing, put it in. Make well, a thing, put it in. The direction is also that content supports the the mechanics. The mechanics. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So we would build all the mechanics. Sam would make the art uh, to, to fit the mechanics, make it once, and then we'd move on to the next art asset. Um, and then by the time we got to the last like 20% of dev time, we'd be like, okay, well, what's the story of this? Like, what's the narrative? You know, and then we would kind of like fit that to the art and the mechanics that that just sort of emerged on their own, right? This was kind of the design by chaos concept that I talked about at uh, GDC. Um, so with Crashlands 2, uh, we have been focusing on mechanics almost not at all because we've kind of realized that after making like a hundred jam games and, and six uh, and publishing six, you know, larger games and um, all this stuff that, that for our level of experience and the kinds of like the amount of, of things we've done, making mechanically solid and interesting games is actually, it's just not that big of a deal. That's not the hard part. That's not the part where we need to put a bunch of iteration and development time, uh, which means we can flip the script. So, so we have what we have in Crashlands Two is like some basic combat and some basic um, harvesting. Um, but all this time has been going into the the emotional side of what it feels like to be in the world, mm-hmm. right? So, we want it to be the case that that. If you see this game, you see it in a trailer, you see someone else playing it or whatever, that it's beautiful, it's immersive, it just feels like you just you just want to you just want to live there. You just need you just, it. That's the thing. You need to see it and you need to need it. That's you need to be there. Mm-hmm. Um and it's been kind of a hard thing for me to accept because I love the systems side of game dev, like it's but but systems don't really get people in the door. Well, so I think this is you one know? of those funny things where part of the, I think part of the difficulty in seeing the value of this side of things is that you have to be the person who at some point gets to present the game to other people. Um, and so I've been doing, cause I, I typically handle a lot of our biz dev stuff with, with the platform. So I've actually, I've been showing the game to people for now, uh, at least four months or so. Um, just little snippets here and there when we're chatting with one of our platforms, like, Hey, you know, here's, here's a two second look at kind of where, where things are at. Uh, and those have been getting very positive responses for, you know, a good couple months now. Um, but the latest version of it that I showed off to one of our platform uh, people, yeah, it, it had it had that sort of quality to it where people just are like, "Oh yes, can you? Oh yeah, can you apply for these things with us? Can you send this in to get? Can we they give you money it. to put yeah, this on? They, they go from being like, "Oh, that's pretty cool," to like, "I we we want this. Yeah. We want yeah. to publish this, and or we want this on our platform, or or whatever." Yeah, and I think the difference is like I'm usually the one handling those things. I've also been the one who's been. Uh, you know, for better or worse, at certain times, pushing on some of these different development styles uh, that we've been experimenting with over the course of Crashlands from up front, like planning a bunch of the, the process and the uh, design stuff up front to some milestone-based development, which didn't quite work as well as we intended, uh, to basically at the core of it, this, this emotionally centered design philosophy, which is like, it doesn't matter if no one's going to remember it because it didn't hit them in the, in the feels, 
And yeah, yeah. And the, the systems matter a lot for people who are playing the game. Yes. Right. Like that, like that is, that is like the, that's the, the experience. Game. That's, that's the thing that actually like keeps you in there, gives you stuff to do. Right. So that's like your quest log. Mm-hmm. That's your crafting recipes. That's all that stuff. Um, but you don't decide to play a game because it has a quest log. <laughs> right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and even like seeing, uh, screenshots and videos of a game. The more complex the game systems, the less informed your decision is coming from screenshots and videos. Like well, if, and if the, you look the at better designed a thing, is the more it melts into the experience, so that you don't explicitly you're not even explicitly aware that that's a thing that you're experiencing because, like, of course that was there, you know? Yeah, and and so our goal with Crashlands Two is, you know, if you go back and look at Crashlands One trailer, it's a features list, it's an infomercial. It's like, have you, has this ever happened to you? And like, somebody's like <laughs> juggling a thousand things in their inventory. And we're like, we have the product for you. Like Crashlands has a self-managing inventory, yep. you know? Uh, it's the, the, the pitch was really about like taking systems that people have had gripes about in the past and being like, we solved those in this game. Mm-hmm. Right. And even we game, did level as well. Truthfully. Yeah. Yeah. But a game isn't uh it's not a problem solving device. It's not a, it's not a slap chop. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's supposed to deliver an emotionally resonant uh powerful feeling that you remember, mm-hmm. right? Um and so we were kind of talking about so last week we played Valheim uh in the studio cuz you know it's it's big. We wanted to play it together. It's also uh, a crafting so played, game, which is, you know. It's a crafting game. We were kind of we were kind of reflecting on like what are the moments from when we played it that were like really memorable, and there were like there were a few that we could that we could think of. You know, one was like the first time you chop down a tree and it falls on your friend and crushes them. Hilarious, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but every other time you chop down a tree, who gives a shit? Yep. <laughs> right? Uh, because chopping down trees is just it's a it's a it's a system for you to get wood so that you can do other stuff. Um, and, and it's not really that emotionally memorable. memorable. And also you're doing it so many times. Yeah. But I do disagree a bit. Uh, not, not in the general sense, but, but I think compare, compare that to harvesting in any other game, any other game. Um, uh, yeah. The first time is always the most interesting in Valheim where like it falls, you're like, holy shit. And like, you you dodge it and the, that whole thing, or you knock your, you it lands on your house and does a bunch of damage, whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's like, there's a lot of that first experience. Um, but at this point, I've played Valheim for, I don't know, 50 hours, I think, at this point, And I've cut down a lot of fucking trees, right? A lot. Yeah. And yeah, sure. Cutting down trees is not a thing I like want to go do, right? But every time I do it, the experience is unpredictable. Every right. single time. Because the tree falls over. Because <laughs> the tree falls there's, over. There's a little bit of emotional tension, actually. Just there's always, always, always tension because yeah. you don't quite know what's going to happen. And because it's in a forest, it's going to hit another Something. tree. It's going to like roll down a hill. It's going to fall into water and you might have to go try to figure out how to get it. You might have to abandon it because you can't swim out all the way and like pick up stuff off the, you know, whatever. Like there is, there, there have never been any two tree cutting scenarios that were the same. So mm-hmm. that yeah. mechanic that they introduced there, right? That has an it was it, that has an emotional having be, appeal. Having it be uh, physics based, having it be physics based, right? Yeah. Uh, made it so that cutting down a tree and harvesting harvesting things is largely an emotional experience first, and then secondarily you get content. You, like you get yeah. But here's the crazy right? part, right? It's like 
seeing that if you were watching a trailer for Valheim and somebody chops down a tree and you see the tree fall over, that doesn't really register, right? That like, wow, this is like a fun, interesting physics mm-hmm. puzzle that yeah. I have to think about every time I chop a tree because all you're yep. seeing is is the uh, the upfront sort of like surface level concept of the mechanic, right? Which is yeah. you chop a tree and the tree falls over, then you chop it again to get to turn it into wood, right? Um, and so that's kind of that's the the hard part is like you you will use game systems to develop emotionally resonant resonant moments for people who are playing the game. But it's very hard to to use those mechanics to create an emotionally resonant selling point for yeah, new players. Because you're designing for actually two uh, almost contradictory audiences, mm-hmm. right? Those people yeah. who haven't bought your game yet and those people who have and that are playing it, right? Those are yeah. two audiences. You have to satisfy both at the same time. Uh, in particular, and most difficult, or I guess frustratingly, those who haven't bought it yet. Mm-hmm. That's your main audience. That's your right? main audience. Almost uh, because, everybody, even if you have a successful game, is somebody who hasn't bought it yet. Yeah, unless you're doing a, a games as a service thing, right? In which case, yeah. it's all about it's all about adding products to your game, skins and whatever. But um, and, and you know, kind of reflecting on some of the things that have happened in the past few years. I mean, this is all like sort of obvious in hindsight. But you know, looking at something like Cyberpunk, um, mm-hmm. what did what did we know about the mechanics of Cyberpunk? Bef- All I knew was that there were mantis arm blades. Say no more. Yeah, know? and the thing is, like, I still don't know what that actually means. Like, do you get to have them? Do do other do NPCs have them? Is it a combat thing? Is there combat? You know, like, um, there were a lot of there were a lot of things that were not even discussed about what you were going to do in Cyberpunk. But what was discussed was that Keanu Reeves is in this game, and also look how cool it looks. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a city. It's a it's a huge city. Maybe it, maybe it's like Grand Theft Auto. You know, a lot of speculation on like is it like is it like an open world? Can I just roam around this cool cyberpunk land and just do stuff? Um, and the same thing happened with No Man's Sky. You know, like two of these super hyped games, which was both ended up not you know not living up to the hype on delivery, mm-hmm. but but. The idea, the the promise of No Man's Sky was this like, look, it's an infinite galaxy and it's so big. It's just even the developers don't know what's in it. Mm-hmm. And once you once you play the game, you're just kind of going from generic procedurally generated planet to other ones and picking up hydrogen and trying to not die, yep. right? Um and and to be honest, like the gameplay just wasn't it wasn't good. anything. It yeah. wasn't anything at all to really write mm-hmm. home about. Um, but the emotional resonance of the idea that mm-hmm. underpinned those mechanics was so powerful that people were like, and even once the game had like a 30% re- rating on Steam, it was still selling millions of copies because people were like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure. Like, okay, sure, it's bad. <laughs> but like, it'll, I, I still got to check it out. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like well, I, I still got to get in there and see it for myself. And I think the the change I think for you also sounds like it happened because you had you had a meeting this week uh, with one of our our sort of partners where you got to show the game, and so you, I think, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is this is the first time that you got to actually see what happens when people look at what we're currently working on. Yeah, right. Yeah, and like, can you just speak a little bit to that? Basically, how how that kind of fits in with this with this sort of reorientation of your of your mindset around the 
the deck. Yeah, well, I mean, in in the past when I've been in on game pitches that we've done, um, it's always been about talking through and and show like like and showing off a checklist of like here's what this game does, right? So I remember pitching Levelhead in our first few months, and we were going into the editor. We were showing off different power ups, like there's this power up and there's this power up, and like here's this enemy that does this thing. Um, and the crazy thing is like with Crashlands 2, we've been focusing so much on quality and just being like, whatever we put in the game right now just needs to be amazing. And it doesn't really matter if there's not a lot of it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter if right now there's not a lot to do, right? What matters is that it looks great and feels great. And so, um, so when I showed Crashlands 2, I found that like, I was able to show it for the same amount of time because the people looking at it wanted to see more. Mm-hmm. And even all they were even though all they were seeing was me just kind of like walking around in this like handcrafted space that I made, um, chopping some different resources, fighting a creature. We only have one creature so far, right? But like fighting that creature. And they loved, they were like squealing with glee about the animations on the creature and like the ambient sounds and the atmosphere and the, the, just like the feel of the, the, like the luscious grass that you're walking around on and stuff. And, uh, it was kind of like, okay, yeah, like this, this is, this matters actually a lot, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and we could have, we could have like made the first round of, of tiles and and I think probably once the game launches we will go back and show off some pictures of like oh, yeah. how this thing evolved right we could have just stuck with what we had at the beginning and just said yep we have an environment so it's time to keep going it's time to add crafting it's time to add buffs and debuffs and like an elaborate combat system and equipment and build mode and all that stuff we didn't we just we just kept pushing on the visuals mm-hmm. um and 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 now I, I can see it now Right. And like, until you get there, it feels pointless. Right. Oh, yeah. like, until until <laughs> yeah. you get to the point where the game actually does look good and feels good, uh, it feels like you're just dumping tons of time into a nothing bucket. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, well, the, the other thing about it, though, is uh, we've talked in the past about the value of, of the DevOps approach where I mean, there's a whole bunch of components of it, right? But the, the, the small batch delivery idea where, you constantly have something deliverable, always, right? And we talked about this in the past because of the struggles we had with Levelhead when all of a sudden we needed to have a, something available for Nintendo for an event. And, and we had not been testing it. We hadn't it or been testing it. We hadn't even, didn't even have it on Switch. Uh, and so from then on forward, we we're like, we have to have things working on everything all the time, right? <laughs> so that we're ready. We're just ready at any moment. And the same concept applies to, uh, to marketing the game. Right. Because a lot of the conversations we've had about, about marketing Crashlands too is like, how do we do an announcement? Like who are the audiences for, for the announcement? When is the game in a good enough spot that we can like start showing things to people? And then what should we show at that time? And so on and so forth. Right. Um, but if the game is always like, it's, if, if as early as possible, you get to the point where it has the emotional appeal you want it to because of the way that it looks. Right. And the, the quality level of the animation that's in there and all that kind of stuff, then now you're in that position where at any moment we can you show, can show the game off and people will have a good response. Even though, like full disclosure, we don't have crafting. We don't have it yet. Mm-hmm. In Crashlands 2, 
the crafting survival action RPG, right? Yep. Uh, because at this phase of development, we, we actually don't need it yet, right? Like to, to answer the questions we we're trying to answer and to achieve the goals that we're trying to achieve, which is to impress the hell out of, out of people behind the scenes as we're pitching the game and, and, sh- and shopping it around. Um, and the thing is, we may not even need it for another few months, mm-hmm. you know, because it's, it just doesn't matter at this point, actually. Um, and it's just, it's just a weird way to think about it. Yeah. It well, just, yeah, just it's switching weird. it from being, from saying that the mechanics and the systems are, are the point, are the end of the game to recognizing that they're the means by which you get across some of this overall more emotional resonance of people. And so once you, yeah. once you flip that around, then yeah, your, your, your focus gets completely different. And I think it's, I'm glad we're, I'm glad we have the context at least where we can, sh- we can occasionally share some of the stuff with, uh, with some of these platform holders and, and things and basically get a little pulse on how people are feeling about it. Because I think that's, that's the thing that allows it to, to make sense kind of the, the approach we're taking here, which I really, yeah, well, I, think, I mean, actually I think, I think the, the really big flip is from thinking that you're making a game for its players to making a game for its potential players, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, those just aren't the. That's just yeah. not the yeah. same thing. Definitely. And the the fact is, you have to make it for your potential players first, because that's how you get your players, right? Uh, and I think to me, that's the the big yeah. big shift in in framing, um, because it's actually marketing first. It's making a game that is marketable is the goal. And then once people get in there, it has to also be good. But that's actually that's a requirement. But it's it's not the thing that you need to be focusing the most effort on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, it's been it's been a it's been a big week for me just in terms of like recognizing just how powerful this is mm-hmm. and what it means, and even even thinking about how this relates to my own skills development. Like, I have spent weeks working on shaders in Crash Ends 2. Do you know how much time I spent working on shaders prior to Crash Ends 2? As little as possible. Zero. Just, <laughs> z- just zero time. I think I think I I maybe I spent two hours figuring out just enough to make it so that like back when we had um locked items in the editor in Levelhead, that those items were kind of like bluish grayed mm-hmm. out, like a simple color swap shader. And, and that was it. But it wasn't a it wasn't a question of like, hey, we need this game to have some certain visual fidelity to it or visual style to it. And even if that means a month of no new content, it's worth it, right? Like that conversation never happened because we just were focused on content at that time. Um, Which in you know in retrospect is funny because like we definitely spent at least a month on content that we. Never scrapped. Did it yet? We spent way more than that. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. um, but and and also that's that's part of the in retrospect that's part of the challenges of early access, right? Um, which is like if you spend a bunch of time delivering a graphical update to your players, to your existing players, yes, that's actually not enough to keep them around, right? Because like we talked about two different audiences. The, yeah, yep. the visual fidelity and the feeling and the emotional appeal is for bringing players into the door, and it does keep them around to a degree once mm-hmm. they're in there. Yeah. But what really keeps them in is great game systems and and uh, and what there is to do. Right, that's the, the content part. So once you're in early access, 
um, especially on a team like ours, where it's like we've got a game programmer delivering content, we've got an artist, um, then you have to decide where your priorities are. It's always going to bias toward content delivery mm-hmm. at that point. And if you're doing that, you're not doing any other thing because you're only doing one thing at a time. So, uh, yeah, it's been pretty interesting. Uh, all right. Now, before we get into questions, we have a segment called Here's Some Games We're Playing. Let's talk about that. Okay. Yeah. So I uh, started playing Loop Hero, which is on Steam. And this is something that I'd seen like a week ago. It came out, I think, on March 4th and had so many reviews that I was like, the fuck is going on over here with this game? What's the price point? It's 15 bucks. 15 bucks rupees. Okay. And nice. uh, and then Adam mentioned it again uh, last week. He's like, "Hey, did you play a Loop Hero game?" And I, was I just like, saw people talking about it. Everybody same. was talking about it. Let's talk about it. So, so what? What the hell is it? Uh, and did they whiff it or nail it? As is our mechanism here. using our using our new uh, rating system. Yeah, I would describe this game as as cookie clicker on turbo steroids. Okay. Yes. And. All it is is you have a hero who automatically just walks in a loop, okay, riveting shit. But uh, the story, the narrative that goes behind that is uh, actually extremely well done, shockingly. Which basically the whole world got destroyed. You wake up, all you can all you can do is walk this path. All you can remember is this path that you're on, and well. monsters start showing up. You kill them. As you kill them, you get you get pieces of stuff that also remember the world a little bit, and so you start. Basically, like collecting all this stuff to essentially build the world back together, uh, and so you actually build around. You're sort of re- quote unquote remembering things like mountains, meadows, vampire mansions, you know, all sorts of stuff uh, that you're basically placing around this loop. And where you place them adds additional stuff onto that loop, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. When you kill monsters, you get loot that lets you. Kill when you say harder. when you kill monsters, you mean when the guy walking around the loop when the kills guy monsters around on his kills own by himself because you're doing shit. <laughs> yeah, and then you pause the game every so often, and you could like swap out your equipment. So like mainly what you're doing is swapping out your equipment and like looking at numbers. Okay, so this is not it's not the level of as far as like how much it grabs your face. Uh, for me, Monster Train is still sort of like a step above something like this because this is it is basically in a very advanced cookie clicker in the sense that. What you were really doing the whole time is basically switching higher level things out and doing like the t- just the tiniest bit of planning. Mm-hmm. Um, however, and this is the important note: this game like exploded. I haven't actually read anything about it, but I will say we know from uh, a lot of the talk from from various platforms and stuff that this idea of sort of total amount of engagement time has been increasingly important for algorithms on various storefronts. So when you have a game that's that's a, that is almost fucking almost a, a clicker. Um, then it's very easy if the game is really well done for people to basically have it on while in the background. Yeah, while they're doing other stuff and check in on it periodically. Which this one has just enough decision making in it that like you would have to check in on it relatively frequently, but not. But you could also just like literally set it and let it run because even if you die, you actually still collect a portion of the resources for like the overall meta game thing, right? Yeah, well, I think there's, I mean, this is, a, that's a really important note, which is there's a really powerful reason why idle games, this is like the idle game category, right? Uh, are able to do so well is like for starters, the fact that they're still satisfying despite you having to do nothing, like that's good, right? Mm-hmm. But also because of this algorithm thing, right? If algorithms in storefronts bias toward games that have a large number of like a high average hours played or high median mm-hmm. hours played per player, 
in a game that if you're like, oh yeah, I'm I'm on my idle miner tycoon thing. Uh, I want to get some more gold or whatever. I'm just going to turn my phone on and just let it run while I cook pasta for 40 minutes. Yep. Right. And it's like, boom, you just have, you just played, you just p- 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 played that game for longer this week than any other game you've, you've even glanced at. Absolutely. Right? Even though you, even though you weren't actively doing anything in the game the whole time. Yeah. And so these, so. these games have a, have a tendency to rise in charts if they're really well done. And I will say as far as like on the with it to nail it, I think, I think they nailed it to be honest. Like, if if this is the sort of experience that you'd like, if you played something like Cookie Clicker or any of these other other things that feel that they're, they're that sort of blend of an automatic game with with some decision making up front, um, it's very very well done. And even the art, which at first I was like kind of confused by, because it's very it's very like low res. I mean, some of the I mean, as far as some of the screenshots go, um, but it all kind of it all really does thematically. It all just works really well together. And it's actually extremely well done. So what you realize is like some of the art that you see that I saw initially where I was like, I don't get why this would, would do well, like some of the map art, because the the sprite for the character walking on the map is like eight pixels. It's it's just pure white. It's like a little weird looking dude sort of marching around. Um, but once you actually get into it, like they have, they have full portraits and stuff. And the art is ex- it's actually extremely well done, uh, extremely mm-hmm. well done. So it ends up becoming clearly a basically a thematic choice as far as how they're kind of managing all this stuff. So. Uh, I would recommend it. Uh, when you start playing it, it's one of those things that it'll it'll get it'll get you. So just be careful. Set aside some time. Yeah. There's an interesting uh, I mean, with all the stuff that we were just talking about. The, the thing that interests me about this game is that it seems to defy our claim that uh, that you're going that, that your two audiences are the people who haven't bought your game you're trying to hit emotional resonance for and the people who have your game that you're trying to engage them right because it's to me looking at this game and it may just be that i'm not the right market you know for it but for me looking at this game my only thought was to not even have one like right just like i saw like the only reason i looked at it was because people kept on saying it was good but every time i looked at the marketing assets i was like it didn't there was nothing about it that grabbed me at all it looked like any well, other it's, it's not about it defying it it's that it's that it's there's more dimensions to success than what we talked well, about. Well, yeah, sure. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of nuance to it, yeah. but it's yeah. more of like it doesn't help. It doesn't help Loop Hero that you felt nothing when you looked at it. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's doing well in in spite of the fact that it doesn't have this powerful like emotional appeal going on. But what it does have is is uh, social proof. Yeah, right? but how did it I get mean, that? Right, that's the question. Because 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 yeah, I mean, you're right. Like it has to be. Like, yeah, if you have a great game and people know it's a great game, then they'll buy it. That's true, right? But how the fuck did you Who get them that? in the door? Yeah. And, I mean, this is how I felt about something like uh, RimWorld. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's one of my favorite games I've ever played, and I didn't buy it until it had 98% positive on Steam with 20,000 reviews. <laughs> and I, and I had known about it for years. Yep. And I had been hearing whispers of it, of like this great game. And uh, anytime I, Thought like, what game am I going to get? What game am I going to get? Sometimes I even stumble across it. And I look at it, I'm like, I don't know. I I mean, it kind of just looks, I mean, let's be real. Kind of just looks like shit. It doesn't look that great. But eventually, uh, the social proof wins out, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think there's also an exposure thing, right? If you do have a game that even even if it gets like 10 players, if those 10 players are on average spending 20, 30 hours in the game, like it's going to get promoted in the store. It's no, good. but it's not though. It's not one of those that few players. Like we saw this with, 
with Levelhead, right? Like Levelhead has, but Levelhead does not have those engagement numbers. It just doesn't. But it has, it, it, I mean, you know? it has solid engagement numbers. Yeah, sure. It's not, it's not your like. The difference uh, is the tail. On average, so, dozens of hours. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is what it is. It's like, is something like, uh, like this Loop Hero game. And I saw the, one of the achievements is for killing like a thousand monsters or something, which 77% of the audience has. Now keep, like, you don't <laughs> right. kill that, you don't kill that many of these damn things like per loop and you maybe do 10 loops per run. So like, that's, that's a lot of people. So you think the engagement on this thing is so high? Because, that, yes, because the moment so, to moment engagement is low. If that makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Because there's no effort, so you can just let it just let it run, mm-hmm. you know? Because is it one of those things where, like, if you did if you do nothing, then your character will keep walking around the loop and still just kind of like yeah, they'll keep going and murdering stuff until they die, and then there'll be a screen and it'll be like, here's your resources that you got, and yeah. you will get far fewer of them than if you actively played. But you can still do that. But you can still progress, I guess. Or, yeah, or, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and that's kind of the key. And this is something we've talked about too: is the idea of multi-tiered sort of engagement profiles for a game. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I, you know, I've been playing World of Warcraft for 16 years, but it is not a platformer. It's not a, it's not Dark Souls, right? I can play that game by just standing around in one of the capital cities chatting with my guildmates for an hour, mm-hmm. right? And, I, and I'm still like, quote, playing the game, but I'm doing nothing strenuous or challenging. The, the facet of it that you're playing is the social dimension right just by itself and so yeah and and there and and at any time i could like jump in some of my friends and go do something really hard um or i can go onto a new character and just like casually level and it's no problem at all right so um there's a lot of different ways to engage with the game and as long as a game has that kind of like lower tier of engagement where you can do stuff that's pretty chill and doesn't require a lot of effort and thing and you can still kind of like gain quote in whatever dimension that means, by not having to expend a ton of of stress and and sweat, you know. Um, but where there is a benefit to doing so, because the, the cool thing about something like World of Warcraft, with all of its different dimensions along which you can experience the game, you know, yeah. is that they all interact and they all allow you to participate at kind of whatever level you want. Um, yep. But that isn't that doesn't mean you get to participate in things if you choose a certain level and so on. Right. Mm-hmm. But it also means that if you're, if you're talking about the social experience, you know, if, if you have access to a level, whatever the top is, 60, 60, 60, it used to be 120, but they, they cut yeah. it in half this <laughs> so, time. Right? So you have access to a level 60 character of a certain type that you're really good at. And everybody knows you're really good at, cause you've played the game for a million hours. Right. That changes the kinds of social experiences that you get to have, and like what people yep. will ask of you, and like what your role can be uh, as a as a mentor or a guild leader or whatever inside of yep. the the ecosystem. Um, and so, so the beauty of this is that it's not just that. Oh yeah, you can just like you can just play the game no matter who you are, no matter what you can, what to do, and it's like whatever because that your that sort of suggests that it the experience doesn't become more interesting, you know, or different in some way, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but it's that all these things are interacting and each one of them allows you to choose a level of engagement, but not just in a way where it's just like, oh yeah, like put it on God mode and now it's easy. It's not, it's not just that. It's, it's how much time do you want to invest and here are the outcomes and it's still interesting, but now your experience is just different from somebody else's. Well, it's, right? it's really by establishing an effort floor, which is to say mm-hmm. like if you exp- – there's a certain floor where if you – if you just put in time, but expending almost no effort, that there's still something to be gained, 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, which that concept encourages people to just kind of have the game on, like just to be in the game, have it going. Like there's times where I'm just like, I've got WoW running, but I'm just programming all morning. Occasionally I'll check back in and see if anybody said anything in, in guild chat or whatever. Um, and if they want to like run a dungeon, I'm like, sure, you know, I'll, I'll hit pause on my programming, go run the dungeon and then go back to my programming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, that's, that's like, a, I, I think that kind of thing is super important, especially if your game lives in an ecosystem where engagement yields exposure. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that pushes you in, in front of more people. Because if your if your median hours is like a hundred, uh, then you're just gonna be you're just gonna be more visible mm-hmm. because of the algorithms. Yeah, well, so. and every every system incentivizes every other system. That's that's the beauty of of cho- like well done choice, right? Is not that now people can do whatever they want and and that's fine, right? It's that it's that people get to design the ex- the experience that they prefer to have while simultaneously encouraging themselves because of this, this the the way that everything is designed the way it all interacts to participate in things they otherwise might not or to invest more time than they otherwise yep. would or or whatever yep. and so a really well designed system actually brings people from the lowest effort engagement to the high, like through the high, like the, and most people don't actually get there right but it actually is designed in such a way that you're constantly being encouraged to move towards that highest level of engagement yeah but you get to come in at the lowest level and yep. which is awesome right yeah and you get to decide at which point you're like whether you're going to bail, uh, move on to the higher levels, or just keep hanging out at the level yeah. that you're at. Yeah. And, then, yeah, and a really well done one allows you to continue getting some sort of experience even with that lowest level of engagement, which I think, I think yeah. is cool. Like this thing about Volheim that I think is, is cool is that if you wanted to, you could just stay right where you started, right? Cut down trees build a cool house with your shitty little axe, you know, and that's what I did. Yeah. You could just stay there. (laughs) You could just stay there and do that. You wouldn't even have to hunt any animals, you know, like you'd be limited. Sure. And the kinds of stuff that you can make. Right. But that's the point is, is those limitations become like more and more abrasive to you. Right. As you, as you play and are building your stuff and you see a thing that you could make and you're like, Oh, like I want that. But like, but you still get to choose the whole time. You still get to have a whole gameplay experience. Right. Uh, and you can see the stuff that you now wish you could do, but you still get yeah. to choose the whole time. I mean, about when we played doing. for those those four whatever hours we played, um, I did basically two things. I hoarded all the wood from that everybody chopped down, and I built a house in a giant tower, mm-hmm. uh, which, by the way, contributed nothing to our quote progression. It was fucking dang, awesome. Though. Like we had a dope ass tower for no reason. It was really cool. Uh, and the other thing was at some point. Adam and Sam go running off into the woods and they establish a tiny outpost somewhere because they're like, oh yeah, there's like minerals over here. So I don't it know. Well, it was on the border, that. Between, that was <laughs> the border between the meadows and the black forest. Yeah. And so I saw that and I'm like, oh man, that's a ways out there. And there's like a lot of dangerous woods in between. We need a road. So I got my, I was like, how do I do that? And I got a hoe and I just started hoeing I, and I hoed a road. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Sam saw me hoeing the road and Sam's like, I'm going to get on this. Ho, ho, road hoeing mm-hmm. crew. Become a construction worker. Let's go. And so he started hoeing from his end, and I and then we met in the middle, and we completed the road project. And then Sam built like a thousand torches and laid them along the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like we didn't really get stronger Got or nothing. move forward Next. in the game, but uh, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Just to get to kind so, of do what you want, and there's a whole game there, right? There's there's a whole, at every level. 
there's a whole game there that you can experience and play. It's like Fight Club, right? Like you get you choose your own level of involvement. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a that's a phrase from that from that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, anyways, so Sam, long story short, nailed it. it or whiffed nailed it. it? Nailed nailed it. Loop loop hero mm-hmm. nailed it. Check it out. Uh, all right, so we have like just a few minutes, so we're gonna answer a question. Uh, just a question. So we got to keep this one real high level. All right. Highest upvoted question from podcast.bscotch.net comes from inside the house. Hmm. Comes from comes from Giant Muskrat, who is longtime community member and one of our QA testers. Oh, dang. Who says, if a 3D game is twice as hard as 2D for, for development, is a 1D game twice as easy? So I think it's actually probably a U curve. Mm-hmm. I think having one dimension. So I have seen this. There was a game at GDC that was a an LED strip. Yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was, was a awesome. one dimensional game. There was a joystick that only had like a lever that only moved left and right. And the game it was like a long LED strip that then like they ran out of space, so they actually took a a vertical plank that was like six feet high and they ran the LED strip along their booth table and then up the plank. Did that make it 3D at that point? I don't think the the game game, wasn't played in 3D space. So on the LED strip, it's an RGB LED strip and you as the player were represented by like a a bright white light and and there were like stuff that would kind of like move left and right because there's only directions <laughs> on the LED strip. And, and you basically had to like keep up with the pattern of things as it moved to progress toward the end of the LED strip. And you couldn't like touch the edges and stuff. Um, there's not a lot of other kinds of mechanics that you can build into a 1D <laughs> yeah, game. So actually, you know? <laughs> I think the, the technical complexity is definitely way lower for 1D. Yeah. Because like there's only there's so little you can work with. Uh, but the design complexity. It's hard to not make an action game. Because also like in a two in a one D game, you can't have text. Well, also to not right? making something that's just boring as fuck. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. I think making yeah, a yeah. good one D game. I think I think uh I think it actually gets harder as you move to fewer dimensions to make a good thing. That's the real thing, right? Mm-hmm. Is is it's the technical complexity as you take dimensions away goes down. But the difficulty in making something worth having made. Mm-hmm. Goes way, way, way up, um, and that's where the. And I think this is why this is actually why we always have the this like constant resurgence of the question like should we move to three D at some point, right? It's because like because we there are some things that just it's easy it's it's technically harder to make the the game in three D, but it's also easier to make a game that is fun to hit to hit right? certain targets to hit Honestly, certain like targets. Ragdoll physics is the easiest example yeah. of this, which like yeah. Just having 3D Which physics actually, is already like fun. Even when like we talked no about uh, chopping the trees in Valheim, and they could fall in any direction, right? Well, like if you're in a 2D game, like which they're going to fall left or right because yep. those are the D's that you got. Yep. Yep. Um, and even then, they're not going to roll downhill necessarily because that they, is the thing that would require them to be perpendicular to the hill, and there's no such thing as you know that mm-hmm. in a 2D space. Um, so yeah, in 2D you have to contrive the mechanics a lot more because because if you're not making a side view to like platformer game, then your physics options are very limited. Mm-hmm. Uh without you actually going out of your way to fake them. 
right? So one of the one of the big things that like it, it comes up with pretty much every game we make that's a top down game is at some point Sam is like, yes, yeah, so I want this thing to roll. Yep, and and I'm like, how? Like how? Because <laughs> because we actually got a top down 2D game. Uh, we're we're faking 3D because things can like bounce vertically as if they're like f- you know flying around, which is like a Z axis, right? But in reality, they actually still only live on a 2D plane. And if you want something to roll, it can if it can roll up, down, left, right, you know, in any direction as you're looking at it from the top down, how do you convey that visually? Because if you're rolling it, you can rotate the sprite left and right. Mm-hmm. But if it's like if it's like rotating right but moving down on the screen, then it's like is it fine or is it too weird? Is it fine or does it look too weird? Yeah, doing two D um, games is sort of like becoming a master of illusions. Is sort of the the thing you have to do. Uh, yeah, which is yeah. 3D and, and actually, we spent like a whole week uh, just trying to answer the question in Crashing Two of like, what can we get away with when it comes to animating this character and having directional attacks because. Yep. Because we don't want to have to redraw the character looking in every single direction. Uh, but we do want you to be able to choose what direction you're attacking in. So if you have like your, your axe and you're going to chop down some, some trees or whatever, uh, then you can choose to chop down the trees that are above you on the screen or to your left or below you or whatever. But if you're chopping trees that are above you on screen... Does it feel weird that the character is looking right at the camera, basically? <laughs> and basically, what they're chopping is behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, and somehow, it's it does work. Turns but out it has fine. to, but it has to be dealt with with care. Yeah, I think you see a lot of examples of this actually with uh, top down two D games. Of uh, you'll notice that the combat experience is usually frustrating, at least at least to mm-hmm. some extent. And it's for that reason, which is that it's unless it's designed really well with a lot of thought and care, then it's hard to figure out what the fuck is happening when you like. And so I think a good example of this is uh, Don't Starve, which has yep. to me one of the most aggravating combat systems of any game. You can never tell when I'm actually going to get hit by something. You have no fucking idea if you're going to hit something or if it's going to hit you um, because you can't tell what it means for a thing to get hit. It's just impossible, right? And so – and it's an example of just a place where, like, they didn't figure out, you know, they either they couldn't or just chose that just decided that that wasn't a important matter. enough part of the game design. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's a it's a hard thing to do when you just when everything is a lie. And of course, if you now go into your your one D experience, yeah. uh, then now everything becomes so metaphorical, you know, because like you can't have a tree in a one D game because. A tree is not a pixel. It's, it's not, not a, a pixel. dot. Yeah, you can't, you can't even do it. <laughs> and so, so I think a lot of this stuff, like the, the now you're just so limited in the kind Well, and of also, you like, play. you can't make an open world game because, like, you, there's only two directions. Maybe yeah, you could, right? though. You Maybe can't you could stretch it, on for infinity. You could make an open world, one-dimensional game. Yep. You, yeah, it just goes on forever. Yeah, but you have to do a lot of outside-of-the-game explaining, Right. Oh yeah. So like like if you if you had said like yeah I made this like procedural crafting game on this one D LED strip right mm-hmm. so it's like <laughs> I'm a I'm a glowing dot in the middle and I can choose to move right or left and like things kind of come like light lights of different colors come onto the LED strip yep. they represent uh, different things which represent different things but the LED strip can't tell you what those things mean because it's an LED strip it have and text. That's, that's all the information that it has is just these colors of lights. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
which means something external to the game, or maybe a speaker. Like maybe you can do sound. Like maybe that would do it. Uh, uh, something needs to tell you what it is that you're looking at, you know, because the game can't, it can't do that. Well, I think actually another important point here is that the, there's a huge difference between, there's like the difference between 1D and 2D is, is actually a lot bigger than that because 2D is actually representations of 3D, yep. right? Just projected onto some sort of yeah. a 2D thing. Uh, and so, so everything that we experience in 2D, which is actually also experience the world because our retinas are two dimensional, right? Uh, so everything we've actually experienced in 2D, even 3D stuff, because of course you're looking at a 3D thing on a screen, it's fucking 2D, right? So yep. the difference between 3D and 2D is actually there isn't one; it's all 2D, right? So as soon as you move down into or 3D, however you want to think about it, as soon as you move down into 1D, you actually lose everything, everything that we yep. use to convey information because everything that we use to convey information is three dimensional cast onto a two dimensional plane. That's all. That's just how we experience the world. So right. as soon as you take that 2d plane away, what we're left with is, and even with 1d, like, cause we're talking about, cause a dimension is actually a, uh, a, a property that you can use to describe something, right? Like that's, yep. so people always say, it's like, it's like, Oh, the universe is 11 dimensions. It's like so complicated. You can't remember. It's like, Anything is as many dimensions as you want. You just choose how many things you're going to measure, right? So, uh, so it's not even interesting, actually. But with, a, with the whole, <laughs> this whole idea of like the one D, right? Because uh-huh. you're saying like, oh, you only have position just along this one axis, right? So that's your one D. But you also have color, so that's two D, actually, right? Well, actually, you have RGB. You have RGB. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Four D. So, so yeah, you, you've you got say so it's color already is one D if you represent it using a single number, which you could do, right? Mm-hmm. Or you could say the color itself is three D because you're using three different. This is why this is why the whole idea of dimensionality doesn't isn't interesting. Right? <laughs> it's so, not a real thing. It's not a real thing. But uh, but the point is that that you that this one D space you've got basically color, time, and position. So in the, uh, that's what you got, right? And yeah. the two D space though, now all of a sudden that blows up because as soon as you had that second axis in there then you have all those other things as well. Like it's actually all the same stuff. You just lost that one axis, right? But that axis is actually the most important axis. It's, it's more got important a lot than 3D. Of, it does everything. That's the thing. It's got that a lot of information most. in it. Yeah, it has so much information in it. So yeah, what if you go, yeah, I think going from 2D to 1D means like, oh yeah, all of a sudden you just can't do anything. And so, so it's easy well, it's, actually. It's right? basically, it's like a game for aliens at that point. Much yeah. like a 4D game. Like I don't know if you guys have seen 4D games as concepts, but like, um, there's a few 4D games floating around. And the way that those work is you have some button or key or whatever to move around on the fourth dimension. And they actually are using the mathematical models of dimensionality to convey like how this works. And what it basically looks like is like stuff in the world sort of changes shapes and moves into and out of existence as you perceive it. Mm-hmm. Because because you are seeing three dimensions because that's the only thing that we're able to sort of do and comprehend. Um, but you're seeing a three-dimensional world sliced at the fourth dimension. So kind well, of like actually, how... It's the other way around. It's you're seeing a four-dimensional world... Sliced into three dimensions. Yeah, which yeah. means you have so, to lose information. So it's kind of like if you see uh, like a... What is it? Like a MRI of a person or whatever, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. A, as it sort of moves through their, their body, right? And you see like... Like all of a sudden shoulders appear just out of literally nowhere as it's like, as the scan is moving down the body. Right. And then suddenly it splits into two things and it's like, well, that's their legs now. Right. So it feels like as the, as the, the MRI image moves along this like 2d slice of a person, 
shapes just kind of manifest and disappear in really bizarre, hard to comprehend ways, right? So it's like that, mm-hmm. but it's 3D because you're moving along these 3D slices. Yeah, well, because of course, of when it comes to those, because you could have taken those 2D slices and then just made a 3D model, right? But you can't take a 3D model and, and then just make, make a 4D. 4D model, right? Yeah, but, yeah. The, but again, that, that thing is like that, that fourth dimension, like it's just like, it's whatever, but it's a. Uh, the, the it's, point with it's a the mathematical construct. Yeah, it, the the idea with all this stuff is that there's as many dimensions as you want, just depending on how you want to measure stuff. Um, but we can only perceive it though in up to three. That's the best we can do. And in reality, it's actually only two because our own 3D understanding is a 2D projection of a 3D space, right? But because right. we live in a 3D space, our brains are really good at understanding and, 3D space projected into 2D, right? Right. But as soon as you move into more dimensions, the only way we can perceive it, because our brains are – we live in a 3D world, right? Our our brains are designed around being able to perceive that. Then you have to project any higher dimensional space as into, 3D. Three, into three or fewer dimensions in order for yeah. us to look at it and be like, oh, I see what's happening here, right? And the only way you can do that is by removing a dimension. That's the only thing you can possibly do, right? So again, it's like taking a slice of an of an MRI, right? But just one like layer of yeah, so that so that you can so that you can understand what it is that you're looking at. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, honestly though, like if this dimensionality stuff, if as this is to our listeners, uh, if this stuff interests you, there are YouTube rabbit holes that you can just fall down for hours where people are talking about like what this means and how to how dimensionality is conveyed and like it's just it's just it's just mind blowing. Yeah, it's actually. It's I love a, it. It's a it's I, a fun I, classic problem in in science because what we're, what you're doing for for most of science is, is just taking complicated things about the world, converting it into numbers so that you can use math on it, right? Uh, and then those things that you've that you've taken, you had to choose which things you measured and therefore turn it into numbers, right? And so you choose like whatever ones you can get at, and then you say that's the thing, right? The thing is this collection of numbers that I have now measured. Uh, but then you usually measure a bunch of them, right? Because because we don't trust our measurements of one thing. So you take you take a whole bunch of, of samples, you know, and you measure all of them. Now you have all of a sudden this like call it n-dimensional, right? Because here are all the things you measured. That's a dimension, right? And then you did that with a whole bunch of different items that you took those measurements on. And now you ask the question: Is like how do these all compare to each other, right? So yeah. that's where you then say like, oh, let's put it on like a chart so I can look at it. But how the fuck do you do that? Because the best charts we can look at, the only charts we can see are up to 3D charts, right? Where you can like rotate it and move it. And so there's a whole discipline of statistics and math of basically saying, given n dimensions, how do I look at it? How do I look at it? <laughs> how do I look well, at it? So the, the thing that blew my mind the most about this, I, I just want to say this before we conclude the episode, because this was just like, it's so fucking weird. Okay. So when you are standing out in the sun, you are you are 3D and you're casting a shadow, right? Your shadow is 2D. It's a projection. Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, mm-hmm. right? So so you're so so you are able as a 3D object to cast a 2D projection of your shape, right? So if you take a 2D object and cast a projection of it, that is 1D. So if you took a shadow, which is totally flat, right, mm-hmm. and you tried to cast it, like if it had a shadow, that shadow would be just a 
a line, like a basically an invisible line, because the shadow has no depth to it. Right? Like, yeah, like that's metaphorically cool, but it well, actually. But, 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 but here's the crazy thing: a 3D object is the shadow of a 4D object. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like this 4D is, objects. This is just playing with. Have, this is just playing with words because. Because what a projection is by definition is removing one or more dimensions. You remove one dimension, right? but, that, but just but just the idea—it's it's the other way around. It's, we call that a shadow when we're talking about a three D person, right, or three D entity that we cast in a two D in a particular way. Yeah, right. Then we refer to that as a shadow. That doesn't mean that a two D projection of a three D thing is a shadow, and therefore any projection of a thing is a shadow of that thing, just in more dimensions. Like you're just playing with words at that point, and it's fun. But I'm just saying. But I'm just saying you can anything. you can think of it that way. Just in you the could, sense sure, that yeah. like it's weird to think. Like for some reason, it's intuitive to be like, yeah, as a as a like you could take a 3D thing and like you're talking about him. You take a 3D thing and cast it into 2D, and it's like I get that right. Because mm-hmm. um, that's what a shadow is. When that's that's how we understand a shadow. But that you could take a 4D thing, and then it creates basically. If you you can cast it into three dimensions, which is the same concept as like you making a shadow, but the shadow is three D because it's the mm-hmm. it's the shadow of a four D thing, which mm-hmm. is whack. But yeah, but it's the, slow, it was so whack. But the thing that's more fun about it though is that is that it's not even as it's more interesting and not as simple as that because uh-huh. you get to choose how you remove a dimension. Right, that's true. So, in the case of making a shadow, that's one way of projecting three D into two D. Right, because right? if the sun is above you, your shadow is just kind of—it's a certain thing. Right, it could be anything. Because yeah. that's a certain dimension that is now like being removed from the projection. But if yeah. the sun is directly in front of you and you're casting a shadow behind you, that's a whole other dimension. Or if you take removed. a slice through yourself through via an MRI. That's right. That's a different projection. That's a different yeah. projection. That's another 2D projection of your 3D self. Oh, we don't call that crazy. a shadow. Yeah. This is so crazy. All right. Well, we got to <laughs> stop there because we could go on about dimensions for All you know, time. a long time, which is another dimension. Yep. And we didn't even get into that. So uh, thank you all for listening. I would like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.